0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 14, 2013. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. The share code for Friday's meeting, April 12, is 4262. This morning's topic is Allergy of the Body, a Practical Application. The Big Book teaches us we have a physical allergy. We are bodily different from most people pertaining our trigger foods. An essential part of recovery is to be in a state of food sobriety. We have to be as sober with our trigger foods as an alcoholic is with alcohol. So we entirely abstain from foods and eating behaviors that trigger us physically. Here to speak about the allergy of the body and how she applies it in her daily life is Joe, a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Good morning and welcome to the line, Joe.
1: Good morning, Leah, and good morning, a vision for you. My name is Joe. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I am going to talk about the practical application of the doctor's opinion as it applies to me. And before I do that, I want to qualify for why I'm here in the first place. I come from a very painful history of compulsive overeating. Uh, my high weight was 254 pounds. I'm 5'5 five, five half, and I have a small frame. And so 254 pounds represents how bad my eating actually got. It represents how desperate... I was that I would go into that kind of desperate oblivion eating to numb out what was going on inside me. At my high weight, my body mass index was 42. That's 17 points higher than the risk factor for obesity-related disease. I couldn't get in and out of bed very easily. I couldn't get in and out of my car very easily. I couldn't run when I was in a hurry. There were so many bags, boxes, and wrappers in the back seat of my car, you couldn't see the floor. My car was a binge mobile. It was one of the main places where I did my compulsive overeating. I woke up with food hangovers every morning. I had nausea. I would have a head rush when I would sit up in bed. I felt like I could throw up. Mornings were the worst time of day for me because I had to face what I was doing to myself. I hid out at the movies, binging on concessions and going to really crappy movies to escape my life. I felt depressed and anxious when the movie ended because now I had to face the daylight and face my desperate life. Um, My face was stretched out so much that I was afraid it would split. Uh, I have stretch marks on my stomach and my hips because of the obesity. I was morbidly obese according to two different weight graphs. That means that because of my obesity, I was at risk of a disease that would kill me. I was afraid of having a heart attack. I was afraid of getting diabetes. I was afraid of getting cancer because I knew that my overweight condition put me at risk of those things. I remember having a dream where I died of two different diseases and I saw my spirit leave my body and look down at my dead self and my spirit was in grief over what I had done to my body while I was alive. The thought of food was constantly occupying my mind. When can I eat? Where will I eat? What can I get? Do I have the money to buy it? And if not, what's the fastest way to get that money so that I can buy it? Fast food joints, delis, convenience stores, drug stores, vending machines, anywhere I could get food fast got my focused attention. Restaurants were not as attractive to me because at a restaurant, I had to wait for the food and then eat in a socially acceptable manner when what I really wanted to do was stuff it down fast and furious without worrying about the social consequences. My eating goes back into my early childhood. I remember I was at a campfire girl event. It was a pizza party. I was nine years old, and I ate eight pieces of pizza. And these were regular-sized pieces. They were not like child-sized pieces. And I remember distinctly not being full after that. It It hadn't bothered me that I had done that. Um, I remember cooking a batch of baked goods at my grandmother's house. I think I was about in the sixth grade. And I accidentally put too much salt when I was preparing this item. And they came out very salty. That was the first thing I tasted when I tasted them. But but I ate them anyway, one after another after another. I just had to get it in me. In high school, I would wait up at night for everyone to go to bed so that I could binge without anyone looking at me or commenting on what I was doing. Um, And I did that a lot in high school. Um, Also, when I was in high school, I would walk to school. I would stop at the convenience store on the way there. I would buy sugary products, stuff them in my pocket, get to school, go into a bathroom stall, and stuff down that sugary item before my first class. And that started many years of eating in bathroom stalls. I would go in, it it continued into college. You know, I would go to a vending machine in one of the buildings where I had a class. I would get a sugary item. I would stow away into a bathroom stall, open up the cellophane, and, and shove it down. And I remember being very angry at anyone who came into the bathroom while I was doing this because if I hadn't yet opened up the package, I felt unfree to open up the package because I knew that person would know that I was eating in the bathroom stall. Even though I hadn't seen her face, she didn't know who I was because she wasn't seeing me, I still didn't feel free to rip open that package and stuff down that substance. And it was very anxiety-producing. And in, in college, vending machines were you know, one of my best friends. I mean, and I remember, i can st- we, this was almost 30 years ago now. Um, well, it was 30 years ago that I was in college, and I remember the buildings. Where the vending machines were, I can see them. I knew where they were located on the floor, and and I knew what they had. And the vending machines that had quote healthy food, like they'd have fresh fruit or milk or sandwiches, like I resented those vending machines. Like don't don't waste my time with that stuff. I want the good stuff. Um, part of my overeating included baking. I would bake large batches of items, and I would eat the whole thing myself. Even when I had, you know, if I was living with other people, um, you know, roommates, housemates, that kind of thing, I didn't share it with them. Um, I wanted to eat the entire thing myself. Uh, The the sugar and the flour and the fat and the volume together uh, had an effect on me that I was not going to get if I shared it with someone. Uh, When I would go out to eat with other people at a restaurant and people would be recommending sharing something, that just sent me into a tizzy. Uh, Sharing food took away from the experience of getting the effect that I wanted to have. Um, I remember those nights, many, many nights, going to my favorite convenience store, filling my arms with substances full of sugar, flour, fat, and salt, Those ingredients in all manner of combination sent me into the stratosphere physically. I remember sitting in my car and after taking the first bite, physically lurching back in my car as if I was having a seizure. I was like a drug addict shooting up, except my drugs were sugar, flour, fat, and salt, baked goods, crunchy, savory foods, fatty foods, creamy foods at home I would replicate these combinations of foods so, I would take items in my kitchen and combine them, um, so I, I would put fat on top of flour. I would have fat mixed with sugar, fat and sugar on top of flour, um, salt mixed in with fat and flour. Um, any combination that I could that I could uh, concoct was uh, was very exciting. Um, whether it was food that came in a box or food that I made from scratch, these four ingredients had to be there in some form and in some combination. When I had, quote, healthy food, it often had to include one of those four ingredients. So if I had vegetables, I wanted fat on top of those vegetables. If I had grains, I'd find a way to mix salt or some salt uh, mixture in with the grains. Uh, If I had meat, I wanted sugar and fat on top of the meat. If I had dairy, I wanted sugar and maybe sugar and salt mixed in with the dairy. The fifth category for me is volume of any kind of food. What I could not get in a trigger ingredient, I made up for in quantity. I didn't get up to 254 pounds, moderate mealing it. My overeating had plagued me since I was 8 or 9 years old, and it had done nothing but get worse. I had gone on diets. I had gone to therapy. I had tried controlled eating. I had tried paid weight loss programs. I had tried wishful thinking. And I had tried fantasizing. You know, from the time I was on my first diet when I was nine, I mean, it just got nothing, it did nothing but get worse. Sometimes I would lose weight all the way down to a normal weight and then shortly after gain all of it back plus more Because I went back to the eating, and it got worse the next time. It was like my system was getting revenge for having gone on the diet in the first place. I was demoralized. I was depressed. I was in despair. I was desperate. And I came to you. And in Overeaters Anonymous, I was introduced to the big book. We are told in the big book That we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind my recovery began when i accepted this about myself what does this mean an allergy of the body dr william silkworth describes it in the chapter the doctor's opinion which i know you've been reading um, this week on the daily vision for you meeting dr silkworth was the medical director of a hospital specializing in the treatment of alcoholics. His assessment of their condition plays a vital role in my understanding of my condition. By the time I came to OA, I knew something was different about me regarding food, but I didn't know what it was. Dr. Silkworth puts words to it. He says they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control, that there are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight and that all these and many others have one symptom in common they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving i get a craving when i eat sugar flour fat salt and volume When I eat those substances or large amounts of food, I cannot stop, and this response is physical. Dr. Silkworth says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol, that they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks." and that we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. I'm ingesting certain substances into my body which give me a sense of ease and comfort. It had to be these foods that gave me the sense of ease and comfort. I did not get a sense of ease and comfort by reading a good book, by going to a movie, by having a meaningful conversation with an intimate friend. I got it by putting chemicals into my system. The writers of the big book, say in the chapter the doctor's opinion that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind that our bodies were sickened as well and that in our belief any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete so now i have two things going for me desperation and an acceptance that i have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind so what do i do now I begin by addressing the allergy of the body. Dr. Silkworth says it has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So what does entire abstinence look like? I'm going to talk about what my entire abstinence looks like. I make no claims that anyone else's abstinence should look like mine. This is my abstinence only. My food plan has been worked out with a nutritionist and a sponsor. I commit my food every day to my sponsor. And I'm going to go into some detail about what I eat. I will be mentioning specific abstinent foods as I go along, but I will not mention specific trigger foods. Here is my food plan. For breakfast, I have four proteins, two starches, two fats, one calcium, and one fruit. For lunch, I have four proteins, three starches, two fats, one vegetable, one calcium, and one fruit. For dinner, I have three proteins, two starches, one vegetable, two fats, and one fruit. And I have some food in the evening between dinner and the time I go to bed. It's called a metabolic adjustment. It's just a small amount of food. And at that sitting, I have one fruit and one calcium. I also have flavorings on my food, which I can add if I choose, and those flavorings also come under certain boundaries, which I will get to later. So I want to take each category of food and go through what I do. So protein, well, option one, meat and eggs. So that would be beef, hamburger, pork, chicken, turkey. I buy these plain, uh, raw, and then I cook them. They are not breaded. They are not fried. There's no sauce on them. There's no seasonings. Uh, when I eat eggs, I can eat either the whole egg or the egg or egg whites. Option two: fish and seafood. That would include items like white fish, salmon, catfish, shrimp, scallops, and tuna. Again, I buy these plain and then I cook them. They are not breaded or fried. They do not have any sauce or seasonings on them. When I buy tuna, I buy it water-packed, not in oil. Option three, plant-based protein. So tofu, beans, these would be pinto beans, black beans, northern beans, garbanzo beans. Those are in a can. I check the label to make sure there's no sugar. When I buy tofu, it is plain tofu. It has not been treated in any way. It is not breaded, fried. It doesn't have any sauce or seasonings on it. Option four, milk-based proteins, that would be cottage cheese. Starches, I eat oatmeal, brown rice, red or yellow potatoes, sweet potatoes and yams, rice cakes, quinoa, rye, barley, corn, peas, and bean threads. And there could be other items that could make their way onto this list, but these are several um, examples. Bean threads are, they're kind of like Chinese noodles. They're, They're not made of flour, they're made of bean starch and water. So oatmeal, um, I buy plain oatmeal. It doesn't have anything else in it, just, you know, those big boxes. Um, And I cook it on the stovetop, not in the microwave. Um, I tried microwaving the the oatmeal in water, and it cooked it just fine, but the consistency of the oatmeal in the microwave reminded me of oatmeal that I used to binge on. So I went back to cooking it on the stovetop, and it doesn't trigger me. So that's an aspect of my abstinence, is the way I prepare the food. Um, Rice cakes, those are just plain brown rice. There's nothing on them. There's no sugar, salt, or oil. They're not flavored. It's just plain. Sweet potatoes and yams, again, with preparation, I find that I need to steam them, not bake them. Um, sweet potatoes and yams have a skin that when I bake them, the skin condenses and it almost caramelizes. And the, it's just too sweet tasting for me. But when I steam them and they're imbued with all that water, that doesn't happen. And so they're a safe food when they're prepared that way. Um, I mostly do not eat white potato. If, If I'm in a pinch and if, you know, if I need to substitute a starch and white potato is, you know, what's available, I can do that. But as a regular practice, I don't have white potato as part of my regular food plan because I find the starchiness of the white potato makes me want sugar shortly after I eat that potato. I do not eat white rice. and I do not eat flour products of any kind. Vegetables. Uh, So I eat raw and cooked vegetables, including celery, onions, carrots, green beans, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, broccoli, mushrooms, peppers, artichoke hearts, beets, and tomatoes. The artichoke hearts I get out of a can, I check the label to make sure there's no sugar. Um, So anytime I would buy a vegetable in a can, I check the label to make sure there's no sugar, because sometimes um, they will pack these things with sugar. Calcium servings, um, cheese, rice milk, and yogurt. So cheese, there's only one type of cheese that I can eat right now. Um, It's low enough in sodium, which is the salt content, and low enough in saturated fat that it's a safe uh, item for me. The vast majority of cheeses that I have found are either too high in salt, too high in saturated fat, or both. They are not safe for me. They trigger me. So most cheeses are either too high or they're these like gourmet and specialty cheeses and they don't have the nutritional information on them, so I don't buy them. But there's this one, one item that, that I can buy and that is it's a safe, sober food for me. Rice milk is a calcium serving. I buy the Enriched brand, so it has as much calcium as milk um, and it doesn't have any sugar in it. I don't feel good when I drink a lot of milk, so mostly I don't do milk. I would, I would use it in a pinch. But on a day-to-day basis, I prefer to have the rice milk. And then yogurt, I buy yogurt plain. It has not been flavored in any way with anything. Fats. So I, I eat oil, avocado, nuts, olives, light sour cream, light cream cheese, mayonnaise, and salad dressing. So oil, it's got to be oil that has not been toasted. Toasted oil is a problem for me. With nuts, they have to be raw, uh, so they do not have any sugar, salt, or oil on them. There are certain nuts that are safe for me and other nuts that are not. So I can eat walnuts, pecans, and sunflower nuts, but I cannot eat peanuts, almonds, or cashews. I don't know why that is, um, because, you know, any nut that I would eat would be raw, but I, I just, my body can't handle those those other nuts. I cannot do roasted nuts. I find that um, that is a trigger for me. Um, let's see, mayonnaise. So if it's mayonnaise, um, it cannot have sugar in the first four ingredients. And if it's salad dressing, it cannot have sugar in the first four ingredients. And there can't be any other type of food in it other than fat, You know, or some kind of flavoring, like if it had, um, you know, crushed vegetables or something, I don't do that. Fruits. So I eat uh, fresh fruit like apples, oranges, pineapple, grapes, strawberries, kiwi, banana, peaches, nectarines, pears, cantaloupe, and grapefruit. If I buy canned fruit, I check the label to make sure it doesn't have sugar in it. So far, I have found the only fruit that I can find that's canned that does not have sugar is uh, a version of uh, one company cans it without sugar. So I can, I can do that. I do not do fruit juices or dried fruit. Those are triggers for me. Um, I do not do bing cherries or blueberries. Flavorings. So these are the optional additions to my food if I want a flavor. Now I don't do a lot of flavorings. Um, I use them kind of sparingly because I find that I like the flavor of my food the way it is, and I find that the fats that I use are flavorful. But I, I do like to use these um, on occasion. So flavorings would include vinegar, mustard. Bragg's Amino Acids, which is a veg- it's a vegetable-based liquid that's 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 flavorful. It kind of tastes like soy sauce, but it's not based. It's not wheat-based. It's based in um, in vegetables, so it's safe for me because I abstain from wheat. Wheat is a trigger for me. Um, so seasonings: oregano, chili powder, dill weed, garlic powder, dry mustard, onion powder. Cajun seasoning, lemon juice, and lime juice. I do not do sweet spices, cinnamon, nutmeg, cardamom, coriander, allspice. Those are triggers for me, and I do not do salty seasonings. Portion sizes. I have to apply portion sizes to what I'm eating because, as I said, volume is a problem for me. And I find that <clears throat> I my addiction, <clears throat> excuse me, my compulsive overeating got so bad that the lever inside of me that allows me to know how much to eat of an abstinent food is broken. So I need prescribed portion sizes. So here are the portion sizes. For meat, one ounce equals one serving. So if I have a meal where I have three servings of protein, it would be three ounces of meat. And if I want less meat at that meal and make up the difference with beans, I can do that. Tofu, six ounces. Cottage cheese, six ounces. Eggs, two eggs. Fish and seafood is four ounces. Beans, four ounces. Vegetables, four ounces of all types. Fruit, any kind of fruit, is four ounces. Cheese, one ounce. Bean threads, four and a half ounces. Nuts is between 0.40 and 0.60 ounces, depending on the type of the nut. Yogurt, six ounces. Rice milk, eight ounces. Oatmeal, three ounces uh, dry, plus one and a quarter cup of water. Rice, 6 ounces. Potatoes, 6 ounces. Rice cakes, 4. Olives, 10 olives. Light sour cream is 2 ounces. Oil, 0.3 ounces. So putting that all together then, this is what I ate yesterday, Saturday. For breakfast, 4 ounces tofu, 4 ounces beans, 3 ounces dry oatmeal, which I then cooked in water, 0.30 ounces oil, 4 ounces fresh grapes and pineapple, 1 ounce cheese. For lunch, 2 ounces pork sausage, that was meat, that is just the meat and the seasonings, there was no salt or sugar in there, 4 ounces beans, 6 ounces potato, 2 ounces avocado, 4 ounces carrot and celery, 1 ounce cheese, 4 ounces apple. For dinner, 6 ounces tofu, 4 ounces bean threads, 0.30 ounces oil, 1 tablespoon vinegar and Brags. 4 ounces fresh mushrooms and snap peas four ounces orange. For metabolic, that's that evening between dinner and bedtime. Four ounces grapes, eight ounces rice milk. If any food on my food plan becomes a problem, I let it go from my food plan. Um, this just happened last week. About six months ago, I had purchased some coconut milk. I thought, you know, that because that's a fat serving on my plan if I choose to have it. And I thought, you know, that'd kind of be nice to, you know, have some variety. It'd been sitting in my cupboard for like six months. It wasn't talking to me. I didn't have any anxiety about it, but I thought, you know, I'll try that, you know, as a way to have some variety in my fats. I had already read the label before I purchased it, but I discussed this with my sponsor first. She said, read me the ingredients. I read her the ingredients. I had... um, looked up what the serving size was going to be. I committed it ahead of time. So my motive for trying that coconut milk was pure. I simply wanted some variety. I wasn't looking for excitement or anything like that. Well, I measured it out and I had it for breakfast. I put it on my oatmeal and, and, and as I was eating it, and it's pretty mild, but it had this sweet undertone to it, which I was not expecting. I just thought it was just going to be mild. I just, I wasn't expecting the sweetness. And and I knew that this could become a problem for me, and so I gave the rest of the coconut milk to my neighbor who eats. Co- she has coconut milk, and I told my sponsor the next day. I said, "This is, you know, it was very mild, but it has this sweet, this sort of mild sweetness to it." And I said, "I knew it could become a problem, so it's off my food plan." She said, "That sounds good." So tried it once. It's off my food plan. Um, Bing cherries and blueberries. Um, Bing cherries, I think the first time I tried them in my abstinence, I knew they were going to be a problem. There was just, there's this concentrated sweetness about them that for me is too much. So I let them go. Blueberries, I used to be able to have without a problem, um, but they became a problem. I heated them up in the microwave with some oatmeal one time um, and the combination that i was eating them in it was oatmeal oil and blueberries it reminded me of something i used to binge on and from that point on i i it blueberries were a problem i just i had to let them go um, and then uh, yeah so those are some examples of when food becomes a problem and when i say become a problem i mean i get triggered by it in some way there's something that's going on with that food beyond just a moderate pleasure Um, and nutrition. It's distracting to me in some way. It's causing me some level of anxiety. And if a food causes me any level of anxiety, that tells me something about that food. It means that it doesn't belong on my food plan. Uh, If a food that I buy changes its recipe, um, not the food but the, the company that produces it changes their recipe such that it could trigger me I let it go off of my food plant, and this happened with mayonnaise. There was a brand of mayonnaise that I had been able to buy. The sugar was low enough on the ingredient label, and um, i the next time I purchased the uh, the mayonnaise, I looked on the label and they had changed the recipe so instead of I think it was something like sugar was like number six or seven, so they changed the recipe and they changed it to corn syrup. And they pushed it up to the fifth. So it was now number five on the ingredient label. And I just had this funny feeling about this. Even though technically um, it was number five and technically it should be safe, I just had a funny feeling about it. But I thought, okay, technically it should be okay. So I bought it and I got it home and I thought, you know, I should smell this. Because I can often tell just by smelling a food if it's going to be a problem for me, so I opened up that mayonnaise and I smelled it. It smelled sweet to me. I thought this is not a safe food for me. I gave it to my neighbor. I didn't even try it. I knew it was going to be a problem, and I was kind of mad because it was the only uh, mayonnaise that I that I had found that had been safe. But what that led me to was um, I had remembered um, that you could make your own mayonnaise, um, and so I looked in a recipe book I had and I learned how to make my own mayonnaise. And so I started making my own mayonnaise. So if I want mayonnaise, I can make a batch. So I actually, um, I actually developed a skill um, out of this experience. Um, I, read, I read food labels faithfully, uh, like I say, even for brands that I buy regularly because, because they can change the recipe. I protect my abstinence. And I can give you some examples. I remember um, being at a family dinner and um their wine was served, I don't, and that's another thing I do abstain from alcohol as part of my abstinence because it's high in in high in you know sugar content um so I had my like my mineral water and everyone else had their wine and so in my family, we have a family there, we, we toast and so we, we clink glasses and so we stood up, everyone had their food, I had my abstinent food in front of me, so everyone, we all stood up to clink glasses and when we clinked glasses, the person next to me, her clinking made her wine spill over onto my food and I knew in that instant that food was no longer sober. And so I, excused myself, I went to the bathroom, I called my sponsor, this is what happened. She said, can you wait to get home to eat your dinner? I said, yes, it's not a problem. So, um, so I, went back to the, I went back to the table and engaged in conversation. I did not eat my food. When I got home, I reconstructed my abstinent food and I ate that. Um, one time I was leaving for uh, for work, and I had my food, my lunch, in a glass container, and it, it slipped out of my hand, and it broke, and all the food spilled out. Well, I just traced back upstairs to my apartment. I remade my abstinent lunch and took it into work. Um, one time I accidentally left my lunch and my dinner on the bus, and I had to reconstruct all of that using the food that was available, um, that was sober. Uh, I had to go to a convenience store and then I had to go to the, um, the restaurant inside the building where I worked and I, I researched and I, I found sober food and I had to reconstruct those two meals, um, that way. When someone offers me a sugary substance, I say, no, thank you, I don't eat sugar. Uh, last night, um, I was at a restaurant with, with some people and, um, I knew I wasn't going to eat my dinner until I got home. And I just wanted to be there just for the social interaction. It was so nice. It's so nice being able to be in a restaurant and be there for the people and not the food. I didn't want the food. I wasn't interested in it. And I just ordered some hot tea and I'm careful when I order tea. Sometimes teas can be real sweet tasting. And so I ordered some mint tea, um, he brought the mint tea. It was in a package. I looked on the package to see if they had ingredients, loose leaf tea, you know, mint tea. I thought this should be okay. I'm going to open this up and smell it. Because, again, my, my smell factor is it, it, it can tell me if something is safe. I opened it up and smelled it. I knew right away not going to be safe because it reminded me of candy that I used to binge on. And so I just poured the hot water in my cup, and I drank the hot water, and it was totally fine. Um, I have an emergency response plan at work in case something goes wrong with the abstinent lunch that I bring or in case I forget my lunch at home so I can reconstruct an abstinent food plan. Um, I follow this food plan every day at every meal under every circumstance without exception because I'm a compulsive overeater every day at every meal under every circumstance without exception. I have a -a 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year condition, an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind that will not yield to anything other than the strictest form of abstinence and the program of recovery found in the Big Book. I believe Dr. Silkworth when he says these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. I cannot indulge in any of my trigger foods in any form at all. I cannot go outside my food plan in any form at all. It is my acceptance of my condition that makes my abstinence meaningful. The abstinence is simply a manifestation of the fact that I've conceded deep down that I am different bodily and mentally from people who can self-regulate with food. I accept what Dr. Silkworth says. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy. Which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. I am differentiated. I am set apart. I have the twofold condition that is compulsive overeating, and my entry into recovery requires my acceptance of the allergy and a food plan that supports that fact. The doctor says, of course, an alcoholic uh, must be freed from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. For the program of recovery to work on me, I have to work the program in a sober state, free of the craving. Freedom from the craving of my trigger foods and the nutritional support that goes along with this puts me in a state where I need the program. I need what the big book has to offer. I have to be in a state of need, and it has to be urgent for me to pay attention to it because the program is demanding. It requires things of me I would never do unless I urgently needed to to save my own life. Dr. Silkworth says, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I will not yield to anything other than a powerful, unapologetic message that goes against everything I was ever taught about food surrender willingness persistence sacrifice and acceptance the doctor writes the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight my addiction has tremendous depth and weight in the program of recovery described in our big book my addiction has met its match finally The practical application of the doctor's opinion comes only after the spiritual application of the doctor's opinion, which for me is to identify with what he is saying and apply it to my compulsive overeating. Everything he says about the alcoholic is true about me as a compulsive overeater. And when I accepted that fact my recovery began dr silkworth says in nearly all cases their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives so even he the medical doctor who conceived the allergy of the body to explain the phenomenon of craving understands that something in addition to abstinence is required for recovery to take hold not in place of abstinence but on top of it In coming into the program of recovery and conceding who I am, in first accepting my allergy of the body and taking the actions that flow from that, I have invited God into my food. And in doing that, I started to believe that maybe God was to be found in other areas of my life as well. And indeed, that has been true. And that journey had to start with abstinence. That's what I have today, and I'll pass.
0: Thank you very much, Joe, for your thorough presentation on allergy of the body, a practical application. We now invite anyone who would like to direct a question to Joe, our speaker this morning, can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute. Anyone have a question this morning for Joe?
2: Uh, hi, this is Joan from Chicago, Compulsible Reader, Sugar Addict. Good morning, Joan. Hi, I just wanted to thank Joe. It was a great um, lead, and I wanted to thank you for sharing your food plan, because I go to a lot of uh, 90-day meetings, and uh, the food is not as flexible, and it's nice to hear that uh, you're abstinent and that you have a diverse food plan. So thank you so much for sharing this morning.
1: You're welcome, Joan.
0: Thank you, Joan. Any questions this morning? Related to allergy of the body, the doctor's opinion. Good morning, or... it's Esther. Esther, good morning to you. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much, Joe. I had a question to ask you. If the doctor's opinion teaches us that our binge foods in you know, in in any form, we can't ingest them any anymore. They trigger in us the phenomenon of craving. So how when you were describing uh, eating mayonnaise is, and sugar being the fourth or fifth ingredient, um, does that not then include something which is a binge food for us, um, even in the most minute amount? Because if, mm-hmm. if that were the case, then uh, perhaps we could include foods on our food plan that do contain our binge foods, but in tiny quantities. Or I'd like to see if you could address that. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. When I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was introduced to that, Principle that if an item has sugar fifth or beyond on the ingredients label, it is no longer considered a major ingredient. I had never heard that before. What I have found is in applying that to my own abstinence, it works. So, in other words, I don't get triggered by it physically, I don't get triggered by it mentally, and my motive for eating that food is pure. In other words, I'm not trying to sneak something in to get a little bit of whatever by having that food. So that would be my answer to that.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Esther.
3: Hi, this is Carolyn. Carolyn, go ahead. Hi, Joe. Um, thank you so much for your share. So in searching out your, um, your triggers, um, how difficult was that? when you were having multiple types of foods that you thought might be a problem for you? Um, can you clarify your question? I'm not sure what you're asking. But, uh, you know, when when you were trying to, uh, other foods other than just the sugar and the flour, um, to figure out other particular foods that would trigger you other than those two ingredients, uh-huh. how difficult was that? And what did you have to do to find that out?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. That's a great question. It took a long time, actually. Um, and it was things, things that I was not aware of. Like I remember trying a, um, it, was a sauce, it was a packaged sausage, um, and it didn't have, it, sugar was like number seven or something. Either sugar was way down on the list or there wasn't sugar. I don't remember, but I remember eating it, and it was like it was, it was triggering me. And I remember thinking, why is this triggering me? If sugar is far enough down on the list, why am I being triggered by this? So I had to look at other possibilities. And so through, through trial and error and um, paying attention to how something is affecting me, I started discerning there are other ingredients like salt. This particular, you know, I think the, the sodium in, the, in that particular uh, product uh, may have been the, the culprit. Uh, so it was a matter of um, being a detective uh, and searching out what if I'm being triggered. What's what is what what are the ingredients here that that may be the the um, the contributor to that. Um, so that was true for salt and fat, because I initially thought that sugar was my main thing, and it is i 'm you know definitely that 's definitely a trigger um but since i 've been in o a and since you know the trial and error and the working out of the food plan, um these other ingredients have have come to the surface I mean, like with salt, for example, I remember um having hard boiled eggs and oil. And I put a tiny amount of salt on top, like an eighth of a teaspoon, or just some small amount. And it triggered me. And I knew it like, oh, my gosh, even just salt out of the shaker in a tiny amount is a problem for me. And that helped me to know that salt was a problem for me. Does that answer your question?
3: Yes, it does. And, and I'm glad that you... Um... Was saying that because I, I also find that um, fats and salts are issues for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: This is Sharon.
0: Carolyn, thank you for your question. Go ahead, Sharon. Thank you. Good,
2: good morning. Thank you so much for your um, talk this morning. Um, I'd like to know when you went to the nutritionist, how you approached um, that. Uh, and did the nutritionists understand that you were a compulsive overeater with an allergy to food, or did you have to make her aware of that her or him?
1: Yeah, the first nutritionist I went to did not have knowledge of food addiction of compulsive overeating um, and i've I've been to a variety of nutritionists actually um and some of them understand compulsive overeating they actually have knowledge about it and others do not and so you know any um nutritionist who recommends that i do something that i know is not sober i don't do it i mean it's just at this point it's it's that simple and this is why a sponsor is so important also in my process because my nutritionist can give me some feedback about something, and then I run it by my sponsor. And what my sponsor is listening for is anything that might be compulsive in there, any risk that I could take what the nutritionist is saying and apply it in a non sober way. So, this is why for me, I need both the nutritionist, it's going to give me the physical nutritional information, but also my sponsor whose interest is my sobriety, my recovery. My nutritionist's job, actually she doesn't have to know about compulsive overeating for her to be useful to me. It's nice if a nutritionist does know about that. It's not a requirement because I don't go to a nutritionist to know about sobriety. I go to my sponsor for that. The nutritionist is concerned with nutrition. So if a a nutritionist says, well, Joe, you can have sugar a couple times a week because nutritionally I could have sugar a couple of times a week because if you only have it a couple of times a week, it's not going to have a negative nutritional effect on you. But that's not possible for someone like me. So I practice the faculty of discernment when I consult with a nutritionist because at this point I know, I mean, I I I can tell um, pretty much right away if a nutritionist knows about um, compulsive overeating or not. So having said that, I don't spend any time in my consultation with my nutritionist trying to educate her about anything. She's there to educate me about nutrition. I'm not, I don't have to educate her. I don't have to say I'm a compulsive overeater and I have an allergy of the body and blah, 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 blah. You know, what I need to do, if I'm going to carry that message, I need to carry that to, you know, compulsive overeaters. Not to my nutritionist. I can I can say that I'm in recovery from compulsive overeating. I can use that language, and if she's curious about that, she can ask. So I don't know. That's that would be my answer.
2: Oh, thank you very much. That was that that was excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, Sharon. this is Ann
0: Marie. Anne Marie, go ahead. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your share, Joe. Um, my question is i have I heard you say that, you know, you might come across a food and it triggers you. What do you do when you have that trigger? How do you handle it?
1: You mean in the middle of eating it? Or
0: Yeah, let's say you t- let's say you bought that mayonnaise and you went ahead and, and ate it and smell it and you went ahead and ate it and you got triggered. What would you do in that instance?
1: Hmm. Well, you know, I think I I either Usually, it's okay to finish the serving It's usually small um you know, I can call my sponsor um, and I can say, "You know this just can't be on my food plan anymore." um My experience with that is that you know I, I finish the serving it it doesn't you know it doesn't lead to a binge, but I do need to let it go off my food
2: plan. okay, thank you.
0: you're welcome thank you, hi this is. I'm sorry, I missed the name. I'm
4: sorry, I'm sorry. um, this is Philomena. I have a question.
0: Yes, Philomena go ahead.
4: uh thank you, Joe. so much for sharing. uh I just recently had a, a, a episode last week i uh I have um, an ounce of cheese on my food plan, and um mozzarella cheese sticks don't bother me. I've been you know fine with that, but I added a uh, I bought this pepper jack cheese and Oh my god, after I ate it I was actually salivating, thinking about the rest of it in the refrigerator. So I knew, you know, uh that I could not I had to get rid of it. So I'm glad that you shared about cheese, but was I was wondering, is it okay if you mentioned the other type of cheese that you tried that was okay for you?
1: Well the the cheese that I eat now is a Swiss cheese. Okay. And it's it's just low enough in sodium and low enough in saturated fat that it's safe for me it doesn't trigger me physically it does i don't obsess about it um yeah and i would suggest that you look on the ingredients of that of that was it what was it pepper jack did you say
4: yeah it was it pepper, pepper jack
1: i recommend that you look on on the look on the ingre- not so much the ingredients you know the ingredients but look at the nutritional label and look at i would recommend you look at um the sodium and the saturated fat Because once you can determine what your threshold is, that allows you to then be a sober grocery store consumer. You know, then you'll know if the sodium is above such and such a level, it's a trigger for me. If the fat is above a certain level, it's a trigger for me. Because chances are if it's cheese that's triggering, if it's the cheese that's triggering, those are the two things that are going to be the trigger. Most likely, it's not you know. There's not sugar in cheese. You know what I'm saying? There's not wheat in cheese. No, there's no there's no caffeine, and there's the other things that can be triggers for us are not in cheese. What what are the triggers that would be in cheese? I know sometimes people. I I know someone who said um, dairy was a problem for her. So milk products, I you know, milk products perhaps of any kind might be a problem for her. For most of us compulsive overeaters, we can tolerate some milk products as long as they don't have. The, the problem ingredients. So that that would be my suggestion for you. Thank you. You're welcome.
4: Hi, this Thank is Margaret in Illinois. Hi, Margaret, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. Um, this was very informative, um, all the detail of your actual food plan. I appreciate it. Um, two, two questions. Um, I am trying to figure out what the difference is um, between coconut water and coconut milk. I know I can look it up, but I was hoping maybe you could give me a quick um, difference. I've never heard of coconut water, so I I don't know what that is. Is that coconut flavored water? It's uh, I I guess so. It's just it's in a can, and um, I just was I was wondering if it was the same as coconut milk. So apparently it's not, and I can research it. So no no worries there. My other question was. you mentioned oatmeal that you eat. I think you said 4 ounces of oatmeal, 3 ounces 3, three ounces dry, us. uh-huh. I like oatmeal um as a breakfast food and uh-huh. I have always kind of gone by the serving on the box, which is a half a cup dry, and 3 ounces seems like it's d- double that amount. Am I correct? Uh-huh.
1: Is so it double?
4: How did, yeah, with, I don't
1: I don't I don't know cuz I weigh it, I don't um put it in a cup, so Okay. Well, I don't, I I don't
4: know. You just kind of came to that conclusion of the, the amount that you eat, uh-huh. or do you actually follow serving sizes on on um, food items? Oh, I don't
1: follow the serving sizes. I consult with my nutritionist, and she tells me what the serving size, you know, she tells me what the weight should be.
4: Okay. And so then, that's what I go by. Okay. And then one final question. I'm sorry I said two, but this is three. Um, nutritionist is mentioned a lot. Um, is, is a nutritionist somebody that you can just look up in the phone book and find? Uh, I guess I don't know how to go about finding a nutritionist.
1: Well, one thing you could do is you could go to your primary care doctor and ask for a referral. Okay. Or you could go to your health insurance company and ask for a list. Okay. That sounds
5: yeah.
0: great. Thank you so much, and thanks again. Thank you, Leah. You're welcome. Pleasure. Thank you, Margaret. Anyone else? Questions regarding allergy of the body, information. Hi, this is Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Go ahead.
2: Hi. Thank you, Joe. This is Sheila Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much for your details and sharing your food plan. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. A couple of questions I have. One was in, I knew that sugar is one of my my triggers, and I kind of went through a I had to define what type of sugars because it's not everything. Because when I look at all the ingredients in most things, like ketchup, tomato sauce, they all have sugar, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily trigger me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to kind of, I started with the refined sugars, the ones that started the obsession and the craving. Mm-hmm. So with the refined sugars. But my question was did you, during your process, and one of my triggers is deprivation, did you come across um, feelings of deprivation and did that trigger you? And my guess is, for me, when the deprivation steps in, I try to use the spiritual part of the program to help. But sometimes it doesn't help. So, you know, then you turn to the other tools. So one question was, did you go through that process where you just took out every single thing that had sugar? I think you did mention where you looked at labels, and that's very important. I also, too, work with a nutritionist. And my nutritionist, from time to time, said, oh, you can have one of these. You know, this is not... This is okay if it's brown, not white. But even it being brown and not white, if it's a certain food for me, it's bagels. You know, I could start with a bagel and it seems okay, but then I'm noticing I'm choosing bagels three days a week instead of once a month.
6: Mm-hmm. So even
2: sometimes mm-hmm. a nutritionist can say, you know, yes, this, this would be okay, but you personally know if it's going to be a trigger for you, you can't do mm-hmm. it. I appreciate you for defining that because even working with a professional, you still have to define what works for you and what doesn't. But yes. My final thing was: Did you have any issues with deprivation um, during your process, and how did how did you how did you work around that? Mm-hmm. That's
1: a really good question. Um, I had to go through a transition in the way that I ate, and when I started yielding to the deep surrender that was required of me, there were moments of discomfort. There were moments where I have got to fulfill the requirement of my food plan, and I'm getting used to this, and I don't care what I have to do to fulfill the requirements. That's what I'm going to do. And sometimes that meant going to the store and buying carrots in a can which I don't particularly enjoy, but that's what I could get. I, you know, I was working full-time and when I was going through this transition, and that's what I needed to do. And I was willing to go through that transition so that at this meal, I'm having the carrots out of the can. And you know something? It was not deprivation. It was simply a transition. And I think for me, it was important to know the difference between those two things, That because I may be uncomfortable, because this is new, because I don't know what's going to happen, because it's a leap of faith, that doesn't mean I'm being deprived. You know, it means that my ego is going through, uh, you know, we say ego reduction. And the ego screams and yells at that. You know, when I was going through this transition of surrendering myself to my food plan, it was like I had a little kid in me, and she was really throwing a temper tantrum, screaming, screaming and yelling, what do you mean I have to go to bed at 8 o'clock? What do you mean I have to sit at the table and eat my meals? What do you mean I can't hit my sister? What do you mean I can't throw rocks through the window? I've always been able to do that. Now you're saying I can't. And what I was able to have this other part of me come up, which was the adult, and say, I know you don't like this, but I don't know what else to do. So, this is what we're doing. You know, if you see a parent and a child, you see a child really acting up, and you see the parent be firm, but not mean, but firm, you know that's love. That's what this has been for me. Um, My food plan is an act of love for myself, it is not deprivation. I don't feel deprived. And, you know, sometimes, so what? If, if If a meal is not, you know, if a meal is a number five instead of a number 10, so what? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I've i gone through a process where the importance of food has gone way down in my life. It has its place. It has to have its appropriate place. But I no longer look to food for excitement, reward, celebration, social interaction. I don't look to it for those things. So I would... I would recommend maybe you want to look at that. If you're feeling deprived, you know, maybe you want to look at what are you looking to food for in the first place that sets you up for feeling deprived. So that would be my answer to that.
2: Thank you so much. You're welcome.
0: This is Janice. Thank you, Sheila. Hi, Janice. Go ahead.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Ms. Jo. What a wonderful share this morning. Such good information. Um, When you mentioned at the party um, someone's wine overspilling onto your drink, and you mentioned going in the bathroom and calling your sponsor, would you talk a little bit more about that phone call and why you made that phone call and how that works in, in keeping abstinence?
1: Yes, and good morning, Janice, and thank you for that question. That's a great question. That is where the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind intersect because to protect being triggered from the allergy of the body just in and of itself, I would not have had to make the phone call. I simply wouldn't eat the food. But because I also have an obsession of the mind If I am at risk of going outside my prescribed plan, which includes the time that I eat, I have to take care of the obsession of the mind in addition to the allergy of the body. So when that wine spilled on my food, I am now faced with, I am at risk of going outside my time window for when I'm going to eat. And I have very workable time windows, but they are boundaries. So for dinner, you know, I eat dinner anywhere between 4.30 and 7 p.m. Well, if I'm outside that, my mind starts going and I start getting distracted. I can't think about anything else until that question is resolved. That's the obsession of the mind. So I needed to take care of my obsession of the mind by calling my sponsor. And thank goodness she was home. If she had not been home, I would have had to keep calling till I found another recovered sponsor, but I found my own sponsor, and I said, this is what has happened. You know, and I don't, and I suspect my brother did not have the food that I would need to reconstruct an abstinent meal. She said, can you wait till you get home? I said, yes. And that way, I'm leaving the decision essentially in her hands for what I'm supposed to do in that moment. How do I take care of the time window issue? So when I connected with another recovered compulsive reader who I had a relationship with and an understanding and an agreement with, then there was, now I have a new plan, but it's not a plan of my making. I didn't come up with it with my own ego. You know, I invited someone else into the process. So then I was calmed down. My obsession of the mind left. I knew what the new plan was. But the new plan, this new sober plan, an adjusted but sober plan was going to be, went back to the table. And admittedly, as the night kind of wore on a little bit, I got kind of hungry, but, but that was okay. And that was my taking care of the second part of our condition. So that's why I made that phone call. And thank you very much for that question, Janice
2: yeah you're welcome, Joe. Thank you. I also found for myself recently, um I knew I was going to be going out of town um, to be with family for and it would it would take place over a meal. And even though I knew I was prepared with what I was going to take with me, I also made a point of calling a couple people in my close network and said, "Are you going to be around today if something would happen and I would need a quick call?" Um, I had a couple people kind of set up that I knew were going to be available by phone. So I, uh, I'm with you there, Miss Joe, and I appreciate everything you shared um,
0: this morning. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you, Janice. Any other yes, questions? Yeah. This is Susan. Susan, go ahead
2: thanks so much, Leia and Joe. Um, I was off the line for a bit, so if this is a repeat question, please let me know, and I'll just listen to the recording um, to you know to, so that we don't have to go over it again. Um, I'm very clear about foods, and I just want to say that one thing that I learned uh, when I first got abstinent was that balsamic vinegar was an issue. So I just want to say that that's just for me, but I, mm-hmm. I believe balsamic vinegar may have sugar in it. I don't know if you said that. So I just, for everyone to research on their own what works for them, I just want to put that out there. But my question mm-hmm. is, what about toothpaste? Is there any issue with toothpaste uh, and and sugar ingredients have you found? Have you been selective about your toothpaste? Yes, Thanks. I have, and that's a really great question. Um, for
1: me, it, the, uh, the issue with toothpaste is the smell and the taste, I don't, and that's what I go by. I, I guess I, I don't know if, sugar, if toothpaste has, if there are any brands that have sugar. What I know is that I can get triggered by the smell. If it reminds me of something I used to binge on you know, or something I used to go because it had sugar in it, um, and there have been some toothpaste that when I got them home and I smelled, they like, oh, this is, I, I can't use this toothpaste. Um, so, yeah, and the same is true for um, other types of things like candles and potpourri, um, yeah, dishwashing liquid, shampoo, hand lotion. You know, the health and beauty products that are um, scented like food, I generally avoid those. Um, they can be sweet-smelling. They can have a smell that, that triggers me. So I avoid those.
7: Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
0: Thank you, Susan.
2: I have a question. Uh, do you feel, this is Steve, do you feel physically a difference when you are triggered by a food as opposed to triggered by the mental obsession. Yes. Is there a physical? There's a physical difference for yes. you.
1: Yes. Because when I'm physically triggered, it means I have this. That's the substance in my body. And if I if I'm triggered by the smell, it's it's it gets my mind. You know, I can see the food and and that kind of thing. But it's not a. Um, it's more of a mental trigger rather than a physical trigger
2: but it doesn't feel physically. The mental trigger does not feel physically in your body as the need to eat. Right, way, yes. Wow, yes. that's different for me. That's interesting. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Thank you, Steve. Joe, can you describe that physical sensation that you have a little bit? Um, it's, it's kind of
1: akin to... Um, something is going on in my body. It is kind of like, it's kind of like a low level electric pulse. It's kind of like, um, some, it's, it's kind of like I have electric electrical wiring and someone turned the light on and I'm, it's, it, there's a, there's, there's a little bit of a buzz of some kind. It It's, and I, I can, at this point I can tell, I can, I can tell it right away. Um, it's anxiety. You know, anxiety is a physical feeling. If you ever feel anxiety about something, you can feel it in your body. It's kind of like that. Um, and because, you know, thank goodness, I have enough experience with sobriety at this point, I can tell the difference because I know what sober is. I, I know the sober physical feeling, which is virtually 100% of the time now. So if there's a drop of physical anxiety about a food, I can tell it right away. For purposes of being concise, you know, my story, my share this morning was fairly brief. But honestly, I mean, to get to this place has taken years um, of trial and error and falling down and trying it again and research and, and that kind of thing. Um, if if a food uh, causes any kind of distraction for me, it's a problem. Um, well, that's not the question you were asking, what, what's the, what does it feel like physically? So I guess, yeah, someone's turned the light on. That's that's how I would describe it. I don't know if that's adequate, but that's how I would describe it.
0: I identify completely, <laughs> and <laughs> personally. And um, since we're talking about physical sensations, perhaps uh, you might share a little bit, was there any physical sensation going through withdrawal when you initially separated from some of these substances? Yes.
1: Any
0: experience with withdrawal and how yes. you handled that. Thank you.
1: Yes, yes, I had withdrawal, and thank you for the question. And it's interesting because, um, like, I would go, you know, I would go on diets, uh, and I had withdrawal then too. And I, I, what I called at the time was anxiety, but actually it was withdrawal because my body. Um, and, and, and coming into this, you know, this actual recovered abstinence, um, there was some withdrawal. Um, because for me, what I've learned is that my body, be, because I'm an addict, that means that my body got addicted to substances. I'm like an alcoholic or a drug addict in that way, Um our culture and the medical profession does does n- do not acknowledge food addiction, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist um it It definitely exists for me um so the withdrawal was um anxiety like you know it was sort of the um it was anxiety it uh it was a little bit of shakiness um I felt um vulnerable um, i guess you know some worry. Uh, what am I going to do now? I think anxiety is the best uh, approximation. That's the word that I would use that describes withdrawal the best. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but,
0: yeah, that, that would be my much. answer. Thank you. Just thought we'd, yeah. we should put it out there for people yeah. that aren't feeling so great during withdrawal. Yeah. And That's okay.
1: Yes, it passes. Yes there is literature out there it is not it's not recovery literature so i'm not going to name what it is but you can do your research about how long it takes to go through the withdrawal process you know the body does take some time um you know once i stopped eating sugar it did take some time for the sugar to leave my system entirely like it didn't happen immediately it did take some time and there there are sources out there that you can consult um for
2: for information about that
0: Thank you, Joe.
2: You're
6: welcome. Any other
0: questions this morning for Joe? This is
6: Rose. Rose, good morning to you. Good morning, thank you. Joe, thank you so much for your talk. Um God, it's a wealth of um of knowledge to have here on a recording. Um, I do have a question which is mm-hmm. um, how did you determine the amounts of food you are eating now? Um, is it are you at, are you at the weight now that you're, that you choose, or you and your nutritionist feel mm-hmm. you're at? Mm-hmm. If so, if you are at that weight, you know whatever you want to call it, maintenance weight, um, how, how have you determined the amounts of food you're eating? Because I'm really interested in, in that answer.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, I am at a maintenance weight. Um my nutritionist set my weight range at between 135 and 140, and I mostly stay within that. Now this winter, my back went out and my activity level went down, and so I, you know, gained some. So I'm like at 141 about now. So I'm a little I'm a little over my range. My my sponsor and I talk about this and she says, you know, let's 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 watch your weight and see because I weigh myself once a week, not to be obsessive, but just to be honest about what's going on with me physically. And I share that with my sponsors. Let's let's pay attention to this, and if it goes on for a while, reconsult with your nutritionist to see if there should be an adjustment made. So I am I consult with my nutritionist probably once every one to two years, I would say, because there are you know changes happen. Like last uh, last year, I landed a new full time job and I started taking the bus, my activity level went way up because I walked five blocks to get the bus, mm-hmm. and then I walked two blocks to get to my job. So I'm doing all this walking and walking up and down the stairs on the bus and stuff, and having the full-time job, my activity level went way up, and my, you know, I, I developed a level of hunger that was kind of like, it, it kept on and kept on, like this this is staying with me here. I talked to my sponsor about that. I had a reconsult with my nutritionist. She elevated my food intake some, and my hunger went away, and it was totally fine. And then my back went out this winter, and my activity went down. And I gained gained a little bit of weight. Um, and so it's a process of just, you know, monitoring uh, this on a regular basis. Um, so that would, that would be that. In terms of how the portion sizes, that's been worked out over time, Um I used to follow a plan where I was both weighing and measuring. So some some foods would be weighed on the scale and other foods would be measured like in a measuring cup, you know, mm-hmm. and I did that. Um, and I found that after a while I was starting to obsess about the measuring cup, like it, are there holes in the measuring cup and how do I make mm-hmm. up for the holes. And it just got to be really distracting. And, like, I got really sick of being – I don't want to be distracted. I just want to mm-hmm. clean, blah, blah, blah. So I went through a transition with my sponsor's help um, – of transitioning over to a food plan that was all weighed, and I weigh it on a digital scale so that there's no guesswork. I don't have to guess whether or not it's the appropriate amount. It's just 3.0 ounces, now it's done. So that's the method by which I am measuring it, but the actual measurement, like, you know, who decided that I was going to have four ounces of protein, that was in consult with my nutritionist, and then before I made any of those changes that the nutritionist recommended, I talk about it with my sponsor. Mm,
6: yeah. That's excellent. That is so excellent. Yeah, it really speaks to um, everything, which is uh, the bottom line is like absolute honesty. I mean, everything I hear you share for me just comes right into my heart of it being like an absolutely honest approach to our our disease. So, Thank you so much, Joe. You're welcome. Thank you, Rose, for the question. Any other
7: questions this morning?
0: i still have about 100 people here. Perhaps there's something on your mind. This is Alice. I'd like to ask
2: a question. Sure. Go ahead, Alice. Um, <laughs> first, thank you so much for the thoroughness, of, um, Joe. Um, welcome. I find a lot of times I, um, I'm recovering um, pretty serious bulimic and anorexic also. And I sometimes do not know who is in my head. If it is a um, recovering person who wants to really look at the food and, and clear out what's triggering me, or if it's the anorexic who wants me to believe certain foods and fats are triggering me and wants to clear them out. Um, and, um, one example is that, you know, you mentioned giving up mayonnaise. I, I, um, I realized I needed to, um, give up, you know, the, the compulsive reader part of me really realized I needed to give up mayonnaise. It just triggers me. I, um, I, I can binge on vegetables but there's lots of mayonnaise on it. And, mm-hmm. um, in the, uh, anorexic part of my head, says you know yeah yeah give it up give it up you know and, and yeah you need to get that out of there and I just um even talking about listening to this to your discussion and all this food talk is is triggering for me with um with my anorexia um mm-hmm. I, I love talking it loves talking numbers and figuring it all out and getting into detail and obsessing and I don't a lot of times I mean I don't know what the difference is between me obsessing about the foods and and their content and you know got to clear them out and mm-hmm. and what is true um true triggering and, and necessary foods to take out of my plan. And I work very very strongly with and you know, very tightly with the nutritionist who um you know was at the is is, you know, very familiar with eating disorders. i mean, she's an expert in that field and um I still my diseases are still so dishonest and I just, I don't know who to listen to, what to listen to. Um, I just wondered if you could comment on that. I, at times I think I need to take, um, I am very, I, I really enjoy too much, um, olive oil and mayonnaise and things like that. Anything I, I pour on my food, I've taken out soy sauce and, and, um, and vinegar also cause soy sauce just tastes like burnt brown sugar to me. And, um, and yet, I I don't know if I'm going too far with eliminating all these things that make these foods taste good. You know, because I have a problem with, I I feel guilty if I really enjoy foods and I shouldn't enjoy foods, the anorexic part, and it wants everything to be very bland. And that is a trigger for me, for the bulimic part of me, because, damn, I really want things to taste good and, and to have some... So anyway, I just wanted to know if you had any experience or could offer some help with that with um with doing that in moderation and with some with sanity i just Mm -hmm. have none around that Mm -hmm. that's it well i would
1: recommend that you perhaps seek out a recovered sponsor who maybe has you know a history herself of bulimia and or anorexia because she will understand you In a way that someone like me perhaps wouldn't i'm a compulsive overeater i don't have a history with bulimia or anorexia and i know that there are particular nuances to those versions of our disease that are distinct and unique i would say that it's very important that you invite a recovered sponsor into your process and that you do not rely just on your own thinking for how you're going to do things for us, as compulsive overeaters or bulimics or anorexics, a key part of our addiction is that we think we have to handle it alone. That's probably, that's probably, you know, one of our biggest, if not our biggest problem, is that our ego wants us to believe that our ego wants us to think that the ego is God. And so we're going to follow the ego because, after all, that's, that's the authoritative voice, when actually that's the voice that's going to do us in. So you need a recovered sponsor in your process to, you need to invite that person in into the way that you're thinking and see what she has to say. Um the other thing, um, when you're talking about food tasting good, recovery uh and, and having an abstinent food plan is not about denying Having food that is flavorful, we need food that is flavorful, we need variety, we need color and texture. we need those things um, but we need them in a way that's going to support our recovery um, When you say using something in moderation, I'm not really sure what you mean by that i mean if you're if if you're anything like me and you have an allergy of the body. Recovery is not about trying to use trigger foods in moderation. That's the allergy of the body, is that we are not able to use trigger foods in moderation. That is why Dr. Silkworth says the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. I have found that my process requires patience and persistence in the development of a food plan that is sober but also is you know, enjoyable in its way. You know, like when I have the combination of um, of vinegar, and it's a rice vinegar, um, vinegar and Bragg's, one tablespoon combined of those things. It's flavorful, but it doesn't trigger me. Um, our food plans are not to be punishment. That's what a diet is. And so if, if you are willing to have the patience to uh, seek out flavorful foods that are sober foods then you've got a shot at recovery if you're wanting a quick you know sort of right away answer and have everything resolved i'm not necessarily saying that that's what you're saying but sometimes i think we can get impatient as compulsive overeaters because we we experience the flavor of our binge foods and then we get off those binge foods and we can feel disappointed at the flavor of our abstinent foods because by by comparison, they seem so different in their intensity of the flavor. And I know there are people, I've met people in program who say, I don't like vegetables. And I think what they're saying is that I'm not, I mean, my 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 perception or my assumption of what they're saying is that they're so used to having all the trigger foods on top of the vegetables that when they just have the vegetables, quote, they don't like them. So what is required there is some patience. Go out and, you know, get some fresh um, asparagus and come home and steam it and see what you think. Go out and get some fresh mushrooms and come home and, you know, combine those with, uh, with carrots and see what you think it's kind of it's a it's a firm and yet gentle process you're going to have to do some trial and error you're going to have to read labels you're going to have to talk to your sponsor about it it's going to take some time but it's definitely possible
0: so that's my answer to that thank you joe and thank you for the question alice thank you Anyone else this morning?
7: This is Judith.
0: Judith, good morning, go ahead. Good morning, Leah and everybody, and Joe, thank you so much. Um, Judith, compulsive overeater in Vermont. Someone pointed out to
2: me a number of years ago that um, counting the number of when when sugar shows up is, um, and we take it if it's fifth or sixth or above that, Um, He pointed out that some foods only have two ingredients. And sugar may be the second ingredient, but it may be just a trace of sugar. It may be less than a gram or whatever. And he suggested that I look at the grams of sugar uh, in addition to looking at the number uh, that it is in the list of ingredients. And I just wondered if you had um, dealt with that at all.
1: That's a really good question. I made a decision that I was going to follow the formula of if sugar is in the first four ingredients, I don't have it. So if I found a food that had two ingredients and the second ingredient was sugar, that violates the principle that I agreed to follow. So I don't eat it. I find that for me, simplicity is something I need for my plan to feel sustainable. I... Don't find it sustainable to have to twist myself into knots with any given food item to determine whether or not I'm going to eat it. Uh, At one point, my nutritionist, a nutritionist that I used to have, and she was quite good in, in many ways, but she gave me this formula that was so complex that I wasn't eating foods that actually were sober for me because it was too complex to figure out how much I was supposed to have of it. So the next consult I had with her, I said, can you please just give me, if I'm going to have rice, have this much rice? Like she was having, me. I had to look at, I had to look at how many grams of carbohydrates it had and blah, blah, and Like, oh, please just give me a plain measurement for when I have rice. That's all I need, you know, and sugar fifth or beyond that's, that is a formula that I can apply to anything, anywhere at any time, no matter what. And I find that simplicity is more important than me trying to find the one food that I can get on my food plan that's going to, that there's going to be some loophole. You know, I just find for me trying to find loopholes is a way really of keeping me in the food. Now I'm in the food. I might not be binging. I might not be eating my trigger foods, but I'm in the food because I'm fixating on how can I get this food on my plan? How can I get that food on my plan? And when I'm in the food in that way, I can't live my life. I can't be present to you in service. I'm not going to be present to my animals. I'm not going to be present to my employer, my friends, my neighbors, my family members, the intellectual pursuits that I have. I'm not going to be available to that, because I'm all focused on what kind of food can I get on my food plan. That's one of the ways that I know I'm a compulsive overeater. That's the effect that that kind of thinking has on me. And frankly, I'm sick of it. I'm sick to death of spending my time on that. You have got to be kidding me. Coming into Overdives Anonymous and you're going to tell me that the only thing that I have to look forward to is how I can sneak around and look at labels and go through the grocery store finding that one food that I can fit on my food plan. My life has to be worth more than that. And that's what Overeaters Anonymous is supposed to promise us. That's different from diets. The program of in the Big Book promises, promises us all kinds of things. It says we will be rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence. It says we will not regret the past. We will have a new feeling of usefulness. That's what the promise is. The promise is not that I'm going to be able to find the one idiosyncratic food to get on my food plan. That is not what this program is about. So I would challenge that kind of thinking. You know, ask yourself, am I really trying to be sober here or am I trying to find a loophole? That would be my answer to that.
0: Thank you, Judith, for the question. Joe, how are you doing time-wise? I'm good. Okay. Any other questions this morning related to allergy of the body, practical application? Anything that comes out of the doctor's opinion?
5: Mm. Hello.
0: No yes, Rachel. Good morning. Hi,
5: Leah. Hi, Joe. I love you both. I love Joe. I love the way you are. You're. Thank you so much for making the the wonderful intersection and connection and, and and intertwining the spiritual with the very practical the the, the very uh um, sublime with, with 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 a very mundane and and how do you do this thing I'm so excited that you're ha- we're having this talk um, um you know if i wanted to feel deprived uh just listening to your food plan, I could get so feeling of, deprived, uh, of deprivation because uh, half the things you're having, I can't. And they mm-hmm. are the things that for me, anything that choose mealy, it doesn't matter whether it's brown, green, or whatever, is out. So I'm very limited with this. And within that framework, I make such good food and I enjoy my food and friends who come over from program and eat the food, what I do with vegetables, are very happy with it. Mm-hmm. And yet there are times when I feel deprived because uh, because I, cooking was, was part of my identity. Baking was part of my identity. And I gave away all my baking utensils to mm-hmm. the daughter-in-laws. And, you know, once in a while I think, you know, wow, I could show them a few things. How can I compare that to to what I get you know from uh, how should I say it uh, today I'm especially excited because I just came back from a doctor i I have to finally have this operation I'm looking into removing the the extra skin after thirty eight kilograms so thirty eight kilograms I think is about um more than like seventy five pounds uh, loss, and, and I have I have a problem under my stomach getting eczema uh, from the skin on skin, especially in the summer, and I sat among people who had this stomach stapling operations, and we talked, and, you know, I, I asked, you know, they showed me pictures how much they lost, and, and I asked them, you know, so what do you eat? So all the things that I don't eat, also they don't eat, and they eat... Finally, they, they have to come to eating the way that we eat in program uh, and and uh, are doing a bypass on all the spiritual and growth aspects that we are benefiting by, by using other powers, by using a higher power and by using other powers in us to get us there. And uh, it's just exciting. I don't know if I come out clear, but... I'm so happy that that this program is on and, and that that the last four years have been with with this this uh, conference call uh, and and uh, that it's brought me to where I know exactly what I can and what I can't and food as I've known it in the past has died, and I cannot do that and I'm glad that i don't and and for the question of how do you feel the the difference you know when when you eat something and 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 it physically triggers i don't have a problem with that my feet start going so nervous i can't sleep because i keep on thrashing in bed you know i used to i i by accident ate something somebody told me this is just turkey breast come on you can have it with me that was before i i got before the four years of abstinence and I felt so, so restless. My whole body was restless. My feet were going like crazy. And the next day, I went to the place that she told me where she bought that turkey breast. And they told me they marinated in honey for a few days before they roasted it. So that was wonderful to know. Mm-hmm. Your body kn- I think there's a book even that, that is called Your Body Knows. Anyhow, thank you very, very much. And I I I just decided to go to any length, and and it pays off, you know. Even though I I was here for the seder, just with one friend from program who eats like me, it was fantastic, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was so beautiful, uh, you know. I I I can't I don't want to cry, but it's just unbelievable that what you said that you are catapulted into a fourth dimension. It's only food for God's sake, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking anymore to get a high from it. Yes. What is it? A lover? You know, what what am I getting out of this 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 thing? So so it's for one minute, even just for the minute that you chew it. But for me actually, even the act of chewing I think by now is and, and in, in different times, you know, just the the hand to mouth resuscitation I call it to just bring your hand to your mouth this has to be curtailed and it's fine there are other things to do in life
0: thank and, you thank you so much. so
5: much take care yes thank you, you, you're thank you. welcome
1: and thank thank you for your comments and I wanted to respond um, because yes. this this um, this word deprivation has come up a couple of times in in the questions that have come forward and I I, I wanted to address that because When I got off sugar, I remember two different instances where I sobbed over the loss of sugar in my life. And when I had to give up foods that had been on my plan and I had to give them up, you know, like some of the fresh fruits, I was kind of mad about that. And uh, I have felt uh, irritated at um, having to, you know, let go of foods that, that they changed the recipe. But grief, anger, and irritation are not deprivation. Those are human emotions. And I think it takes great courage for those of us who are food, you know, compulsive overeaters, to come, to come into program and go through the transition of going into recovery because it requires that we have feelings about what we're doing. And having feelings about what we're doing does not mean we are being deprived. Being deprived means we're not getting something that we need. But I have found the opposite to be true in recovery, that I'm getting everything that I need in recovery. There are just times that I'm not getting what I want. I may not be getting what I want, but I'm always getting what I need.
0: Thank you, Joe, and Raquel, for the question. Thank you. Uh, as Raquel was offering her Morning. comment. Sharon. Yes, yes. go ahead. Share? Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Okay,
2: okay. I, I got on sort of towards the end, um, and I would just know if Joe would be willing to share her uh, telephone number.
1: Oh, sure. It's 612-377-4502. Uh-huh. Uh and is that Mountain Standard Time? That is Central Time. Central, Central. Time, United okay. States, yes.
2: Okay, thank you so much. You're Appreciate welcome. all of the comments I've heard. Thank you.
7: Sure.
0: Thank you. Um, yes, as Raquel was mentioning, you know, the hand-to-mouth motion. Perhaps, Joe, you want to maybe mention, are there other uh eating behaviors that uh, you needed to, um, you know, be aware of and uh, eliminate. For instance, um, you know, well, you mentioned that you have a time frame that you eat within time parameters. Perhaps you want to speak a little bit about that. Or do you eat while you're driving a car? Do you eat in front of a TV set? Um, Perhaps you do. Do you eat standing up? Those kind of things. Have you know? Do you have those kind of boundaries as well? Have you needed that?
1: Yes, that's a great question. And yes, I have needed those boundaries. Um, so I'll address, for, uh, for example, time windows. Um, so I eat uh, my meals within certain time frames because I don't want to have to think about whether or not it's too early or too late to eat something. So my time windows are for breakfast. I get up really early and my alarm goes off at 6 and I can eat breakfast anytime between 6 a.m. and 9.30. Now, most days I'm eating like by 7.30 because of just my schedule. But if I need to eat later, I can do that. I eat lunch anywhere between 11.30 and 2, dinner between 4.30 and 7, And then my metabolic, you know, it's probably between 8 and 10, around there. Now, occasionally, I will need to go outside those boundaries. That's very rare, very, very rare that I would go outside those boundaries. And there there may be extenuating circumstances that force me into that. But the vast, vast, 99.9% of the time, I'm within those boundaries. And so but when I say the boundary, when I say that i'm eating breakfast anywhere between six and nine thirty, it doesn't mean I'm taking three and a half hours to get the food in. It means that within that three and a half hour time I'm sitting down for twenty minutes and eating my breakfast and so my my plan is uh I am eating the food uh all together. So I'm not eating my protein at 7 a.m. and my starch at 8 a.m. All of it's there on the table, and I'm eating, and I eat until I'm done. Um, so all my food elements are there at the same time, and I eat until I'm done. Um, I'm not trying to stretch out the meal uh, to try to get more out of it. I'm simply eating my meal. It takes 15, 20 minutes to eat. Um, I do sit down at a table with my food, on a plate, in a bowl. I use silverware. I have a napkin. I put it on my lap. Um, recently, because I have ba- my back has been giving me problems um, in the morning, um, I am standing at my uh, baker's table. I don't bake on that table, but it's, that's what I call it, uh, my kitchen table that's high up. And I'm able to stand and eat because, because of my back condition. But otherwise, I would be sitting. Um, Let's see, so that would be, so So my time frames, um, that's my time frames. In terms of eating habits, um, excuse me, um, I'm generally eating without anything else going on. So like when I eat lunch, I take a lunch break, I I, I walk away from my computer, I go downstairs, there's a this open foyer area where I work, and I'm, and they have these benches, and I'm sitting at the bench, and I'm eating. I'm not on the phone while I'm eating, I'm not you know, doing another activity while eating, the vast majority of times. There have been a few times, this is very unusual, where I will be eating at my computer. So the computer screen is in front of me and I'm eating. Um, but that's very rare. There's, if, if I'm in a work task that requires me to be at my desk during my lunchtime, I'll do that. That's, that's very unusual. And I will say it's really not best practices for recovery to do that. But, again, I'm still following my time window so that I'm, I have to make sure I'm getting my lunch in in my time window and I'm eating all my food at the same time. So I have all of it out. I'm eat, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to stretch it out um, longer to get any kind of excitement out of it um, And, um, so that's how, so my meals are, I'm, I'm present to the meal. And the reason that that's important is it's important that I don't forget any food item because then that's going to start triggering my obsession. And I just, you know, want to be free of that, um, i my my food has to be in its place so that I can go and do what recovery really has me doing. I kind of liken it to going to the dentist. You go to the dentist, you got to sit down in a chair, the dentist comes in the dentist does their stuff. they clean your teeth and then and then you're done. You kind of have to go in so that you can go out and that's kind of my food plan is like that, so I have to pay due attention to my meal times so that that twenty minutes is that twenty minutes and then i can I can go on in terms of eating in my car when my car is parked. I can eat in my car. And there are times when, you know, like if I'm out and about, like on this is on the weekends usually, I'm out and about, and it's going to be better for me to stay within my time windows to bring my lunch with me. Um, and I, if I'm in between errands, I'm parked, I turn the radio on, I eat all my food. But again, I'm in my time window, I'm eating all my food until it's done. Um,
0: so that would be my answer to that. Thank you. Any other questions this morning for Joe? Melanie? Melanie, your turn.
2: Hi, good morning. Good morning, Joe. This is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi, in Oregon. So a question. I've been thinking about
3: um, alcoholics and putting the booze down and then getting on to the steps, knowing for me that we're talking
2: here about a pretty expanded idea about putting the the food down. And the idea for me of course is to pass on what what I have been given. How how do you pass this on to sponsees?
1: Well, when I'm working with someone who um is brand new, um I carve out a half hour every day for that person. I I do daily calls. So if I have sponsees, they call me daily, I call my sponsor daily. At first it takes a good half hour every day to help that person um, get and abstinent food plan together because often there will have to be some time before they can get in to see a nutritionist and so for example I might have them go I'll say you know you can check some sources um, online that will have some recommended food templates there are you know health related organizations that will provide that so you might want to get one of those template food plans and we can put together something for you before you see a nutritionist so for example And also, I know Overeaters Anonymous has a Dignity of Choice pamphlet, which has some template food plans in there that can help people get started. And so what I will help that sponsee do is to apply the template food plan to their eating. So, uh, you know, if they say, um, okay, so let's say the template food plan might have and recommends, you know, three ounces of protein at lunch, and the sponsee will say, well, I'll have three ounces of turkey, and I will say, Is that turkey, you know, plain that you're going to cook, did it come from a deli? And, you know, I've I've had this happen. They'll say, yeah, it came from a deli. And I will say, does it have sugar in it? And they'll say, I don't know. And I will say, chances are if it comes from a deli, it has sugar in it. So let's have you find some other kind of protein for that day. So I'm helping the sponsee um, learn about and understand and differentiate between sober foods and non-sober foods. And so, you know, and and there have been times when um, uh, if a a template food plan um, does not have a listing of specific foods, like, okay, if you're going to have, you know, apple have this much, if you're going to have, you know, banana have this much, and I will say I will loan you my measurement until you go see a nutritionist because my measurements have been worked out for me. Uh, you're going to need a measurement that's going to work out. I am not, and I always will say, I am not a nutritionist. That's not my role here. But w- what we want for you is to have you have a sober food plan for today um, so that you can get sober today and, and move on with recovery. Um, so that's that's how we go along. And so it takes a good half hour for probably a week. I'm on the phone for a half hour because there are lots and lots of questions because... People are so used to having food items that they don't necessarily consider, it's not even necessarily a binge food, but they're putting it on their food for flavoring. So for example, um, ketchup. I mean, most versions of ketchup have sugar in it. And the sponsee doesn't know that. You know, and so she might say, well, I'm gonna have some ketchup on that. And I will say, what are the ingredients? And I'll say, go to the refrigerator and read the ingredients. And that way with her, with me on the phone with her, She's learning how that she's learning the she's beginning to learn the discipline of reading food labels. So she reads a food label and all oh, there's sugar in there and she'll say and she may say, "Oh, but I don't want to eat a it plain, it's not going to taste very good." And I will say, "What other flavorings do you have in your refrigerator?" She might say, "Well, you know, I've got some mustard here." How about mustard? There's, you know, there's no trigger food and mustard. Okay, so what's and then when then we start hammering out, we start hammering it out from the ground floor up. What is her food plan going to be? Um, so I'm very careful. I do not play the role of a nutritionist before she can see someone. I'm very clear with her about that, and so we go from there. Um,
7: so does that answer your question? It does. Thank you very much, Joe. Beautiful
0: welcome thank you melanie anyone else this morning allergy of the body speaking about the nitty-gritty this morning with joe our speaker star one to unmute if you have any questions
2: Uh, This is Sharon in Denver again. I just had a question like mustard that doesn't have any sugar in it, and I usually just, you know, put it on the bread. Do you weigh and measure stuff like that? I do,
1: yes. Um, Everything I have is is measured. Because I found that um, I was able to go for a while without measuring, what was it, um, seasonings? I, I didn't have to measure seasonings for a while, and then it became a problem. Like I started... I started fixating like, oh, I can put a ton on here. When actually, um, I, I don't want to be living like that, you know. So I went back to measuring um, everything. So if I have uh, if I have mustard, I measure it. I have so my um, my food plan is if I have a condiment like so if it has liquid in it. So if it's if it's vinegar, if it's if it's mustard, that kind of thing. I have a tablespoon. I have up to a tablespoon of that item, and I find that's just very sufficient and especially like with mustard it's very tangy and it's 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 it has a very kind of intense flavor and honestly a tablespoon is you know quite sufficient so yes i do i've everything that goes into my mouth is measured
7: thank you sharon
0: fences keep some of us safe <laughs> Anyone else with a question?
2: Hi, Joe. This is honey. Hello, honey. I just wanted to thank you for your specifics um that's It's been very helpful to hear that I have fought um uh not the sugar, not the flour, but a lot of other things um the disease telling me, but you know this is a healthy food. <laughs> And um, mm-hmm. seeing that other that you have problems with some of the things that I've had problems with is very helpful. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. You know, I wanted to respond um, regarding the healthy foods because that can be uh, a trap for us as compulsive readers. If something is healthy, you know, like um, I will ask sometimes, like when when I'm working with a, a new person and she'll say she'll commit a food. Um, And I will say, does that have any sugar in it? And she will say, no, it's organic. And I'll say, well, look on the ingredient label. Because the only way that you know for sure if a packaged food does not have sugar is by reading the ingredients label. Um, Food companies, and hey, they're really good at what they do in terms of marketing, and they'll have all kinds of, you know, they'll have claims on the food label that really is unrelated to whether or not it has sugar in it. You know, it's it's farm fresh, it's organic, it's you know, it's grown with fresh fresh ingredients, you know, whatever, or it's a, it's a, it's whatever their claim is. You still have to look on the ingredient label to know what exactly is in there, and then you have to look at the nutritional label to know um, what the nutritional components are. And I have had experiences where, you know, like I uh, I was going to buy some frozen turkey. Um, it was like a frozen turkey loaf, and um, and I, I looked on the ingredients label, and there was no problem with the ingredients, but then I looked at the nutritional label, and the sodium was like sky high. It was like, you know, a thousand milligrams of sodium per serving or something, which is way over the top for me, because I get triggered with salt, so I had to put it back. So, those are, um, depending on the product that I'm looking at, I have to look at both of those things, and so the question, you know, like the the question is not is it healthy uh, or is it organic or whatever. The question is, does it trigger you? You know, does it trigger you in any way? Are you looking for some kind of excitement in that food? And that could be anything like, you know, there are some products that are fried and that same kind of product is baked. And we might think the baked version is better. But if the baked version is a is a trigger for us, then it really doesn't belong on our food plan. So, we may comment on that.
7: Thank you, Joe and Honey, for the
0: question. Anyone else this morning? Star one to unmute.
7: This is Sharon from Louisiana again. Yes, go ahead. Sharon? Star one to unmute. I'm not hearing you. This is
0: Roxanne. I have a question. Okay, Roxanne, go ahead.
2: Joe, thank you so much for all the detail that you shared and just the um, the model of commitment that you are because I think we have to take our disease seriously and you're committed to an abstinent life that, um, that I think is going to really help to protect your abstinence and it's a great example. I have a question about artificial sweeteners. Um, I no longer use artificial sweeteners and that means that I don't drink Diet Top and I don't chew sugarless gum. Um, I really think that I used the gum in particular as um, a way to take care of my sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. And I just what you thought about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. I also abstain from artificial sweeteners. I just don't do them at all. I don't do sugar-free gum. I don't do sugar-free beverages. I don't do Diet Pop. Um i don't do sugar-free mints i I just i don't put that stuff into my system it's i think it is um i think there for me there are two problems with it one those are gateway items that are going to make me want the real thing and two it keeps me in the food because now it's like oh um how much gum can i eat in a day i'll just uh I'll just do that. It, you know, I'll, what kind of, oh, I, I'll have Diet Pop. Well, I'll have a bunch of caffeine. It's keeping me chained down to wanting some kind of taste bud excitement that takes me away from living life. Um, I remember making the decision that I was going to get off Diet Pop and the fruity teas and the sugar-free gum, and I did it all at once. When I was, I was transitioning to this new food plan, I gave up those things as well. Because I was just sick and tired of putting energy into that. And I, uh, I encourage sponsees when they're new to abstain from, uh, from all the artificial sweeteners and get their bodies completely detoxed from everything. And then I will say, and down the road we can revisit this. Because there are people who are recovered who can, they can do diet pop. They don't obsess about it. They can do some caffeine. They don't obsess about it. They can do sugar-free gum. It's not a problem for them. Uh, but when I'm working with someone new, what we want to do is want to get that completely out of the way for right now and, and allow someone to experience complete, uh, sober, physically clean abstinence. And then when they're good and stable, when they've got, you know, at least six months, I'd like them to wait at least six months um, before reconsidering this. Then we reconsider it, and then even then we talk about it. You know, do you think this, do you think sugar-free gum, you know, I, I'll ask them questions about their history. Is sugar-free gum ever something that you got obsessive about in the past? Um, is this something that makes you feel excited? Um, and they might say no. And I'll say, well, let's let's talk about, you know, um, do you want to, you know, commit, a certain number of sticks in a day, like you're not going to go over a certain amount. Let's make sure that we keep this in a container so that it doesn't become a problem for you. So just because I abstain from all artificial sweeteners doesn't mean someone else is supposed to completely abstain from that, but it has to be run through its filters before we know whether that's going to be safe for someone.
2: So that would be my comment
0: on that. Thank you, Joe.
2: Hi, this is Julie. I'd like to share.
0: Yes, Julie, with a question, go right ahead.
2: Hi, thanks, Joe, for your your story. I've, I've you know heard you before, and and I just keep on um, you know learning and learning. Um, just a comment back on the on the when you talked about the diet sodas and and things. I I've, I've been in program, and then I got into relapse and. And I've been in um, program recovered since um, November 17th. And I've always known that I had an issue with diet soda. But it's kind of like one of those things um, I didn't want to address. But now that I'm recovered, it's like I cannot address it because it's in my face. And I know what it does to my body. This is just my experience. And it's like, the awareness is there that I, I want to treat my body with love and respect. Uh, um, uh, my nutritionist, um, has shared that she does not think that this should be on my food plan. And, um, I talked to my sponsor about it the other day. I said, you know what? Um, I'm compulsively drinking diet sodas. That is not conducive to recovered person. Mm-hmm. And so we're, I'm committing it now. Um, And then each week I'm going to wean it down one one a day. For me, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going cold turkey, but I want to thank you because it's like I didn't ever address it in all the years from '81 until I uh, got into relapse in 2008. I never, I, I was totally separate. I chew gum like crazy. I drink sodas like crazy. But this time, I get the allergy. I get the disease. I get the solution and for me the solution is not harming my body anymore mine Mm -hmm. that's Julie's nobody else's and it's like that onion that keeps on getting peeled and peeled and you know the cool thing is I can't push it away now because I God doesn't want me to push it away he's like saying Julie you know what you need to do and I can't hide it anymore because that's for me, that's my dishonesty. If mm-hmm. I choose to say, God, I'm not going to listen to you when you're trying to teach me. You've taught me to put the food down. You've taught me to see my defects. You've taught me how to do my amends, which I'm in the middle of doing. And I don't want to listen to you about diet soda when I know i got a problem with it. So, yeah, you know, this is my second week, and it's like, thank God for this program. Mm-hmm. because it's, it's not the food. It's mm-hmm. not the soda. Mm-hmm. It's what I do with it. And so I thank you, Joe. I um you know, I saw you in Minnesota year when I was in recovery the last time, but I wasn't really in recovery, I was just thin. Um but now it's like, wow, thank you. I appreciate your share. You're welcome. And I mean thank you for, for
1: sharing, you know, your own process too, Julie, because um, you know, I I heard someone ask this question when I was newly introduced to the program of recovery, and she said, how free do you want to be? And, you know, the process that you're describing reflects that you want your freedom and you're willing to go through a process of, um, you know, getting off that diet
0: pop so that you can be free. Thank you, Julie, for the question. And the comment. Anyone else this morning? Leah, this is Sharon. Can you hear me? We can.
2: Okay, thank you. Um,
0: I I
2: think I want to thank you for your um, explaining or saying that when we come in, we have to get free of everything and then work on what you know what foods are triggers and because when I came in. Four years ago, if somebody had asked me what my binge foods were, I wouldn't have been able to tell them because anything would have been my binge food. I tell you.
0: Sharon, I believe we lost you there. Is there one to unmute? Well, hopefully she'll make her way back uh, shortly. Anyone else with a question? Leah,
2: can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry. Um, so I guess what I, you know, I think it's really important, because I, I listened today and, you know, I've been eating the same food plan for the last four years, and now... And I'm not looking, you know. I, I know that I'm not looking to, you know, light it up. But I'm wondering if nutritionally, what I'm doing is the best nutrition for me. And I really appreciate that, you know. Like I said, if, when I first came in here, my binge foods, I I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you what my binge foods were. I couldn't tell you if it was flour, sugar quantities, because all I did was eat, mm-hmm. you know. If I had a bag of dog food and that's all I had, I swear to you, I would eat it, you know. I would go to any length to get food. That's Mm -hmm. what I did. I would go to any length. I would roll over anybody to get what I needed. And one time, uh, when my husband left me, I went into counseling, and I told the counselor I can't cry. I I can't cry. And I said, it gets to my throat and it stops. And she said, well, I relate that more to your food addiction than anything because you're you 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 don't know what a feeling is because you're used to shoving them down. And you know, I just I, I've appreciated and enjoyed your your talk so much this morning. Um what a blessing. What a blessing this program is and this meeting is. And with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank
0: you.
7: Karen. Anyone else this morning before we wrap up? Hi, this is Sheila. May I share one more Sh- Sheila, go ahead. Sheila, star one to unmute. Sheila, give it a try. Go ahead. Can
2: you hear me?
0: Now we can.
2: Okay. Uh, I just wanted to thank Joel and yourself and everyone that was online. It was just so much information. Um, just in the last speaker talking about allowing ourselves to feel, it just reminded me for me, my disease, how much I will use the food not to feel. Um, And and that was a loud message that I just heard, um, allowing ourselves to feel, allowing ourselves to cry, because for me, my disease, I used the food to anesthetize the pain. So I thank you for that very much, and with that, I pass.
5: Mm -hmm.
7: Thank you. Anyone
0: else going once? Twice? Uh Hi, this is Hoodie. Hoodie, get on in there. Go ahead. Hey,
2: good morning, Leah. Um, thank you for your service, and thank you, Joe, so much for your thorough and um, clear um, pre- um, presentation of this allergy to the body in a session of mine.
7: Um, oh, I good. had like
2: one last question I just wanted to bring up to the floor about um, you talking about your condiments,
0: and in the beginning, you also said that you daily you. Um, you um calling your food to your sponsor and commit your food. Does that also
2: include your condiments? Yes. And um, if so and if not, um, how do you afraid from not taking yeah, too no. much of it and abusing it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, I do commit my condiments and I do commit my seasonings. And I have my sponsees do the same. Because part of my – part of my – um, I shouldn't say part of a big part of my condition is secrecy. Um, my ego wants me to keep secrets about everything. My recovery wants me to disclose everything. So it's far better for me to disclose, 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 disclose. So I've learned and this took it's taken a long time and, and it takes practice for me to have my default setting be to disclose. To reveal, and I consider uh, committing my condiments and my seasonings part of that spiritual practice. So that's why I do that. Um, yeah, I wanted to also um, loop back to a question that was asked a while ago about what do I do if I if I find that I'm eating something that I'm feeling triggered by. Um, I, I wanted to follow up with that. At this point in my recovery, if I were to eat something like the coconut milk, um, the the way the the trigger is, at this point, I would say is it's there. Uh, it it it's a it's at a low level. Um, it is not the same effect as when I was eating and I took a bite of a sugary baked good. What I'm very aware of today is the potential of what could happen if I kept that item on my food plan. So when I said that I finished the serving, that's why. It, it, it's not because I'm trying to get more of a trigger food in me. I'm not trying to get excitement. Um, I am trying to be reasonable in how I am with my sponsor's help Um continuing to refine a food plan. So I just wanted to add that.
0: Thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time this morning and your very informative and revealing presentation. thorough, and we appreciate it so much, on allergy of the body, the practical application in your life. And I will close This morning's presentation with a reading from A Vision for You on page 164. Again, thank you to Joe.
1: Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order